Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Our guest this week is Dan Curtin. You'll often hear his name given as a huge inspiration, but I was really struck during this interview by how much he's had a hand in. There's so much about Dan's story that's unexpected, from the reason he ended up in Berlin more than a decade ago, to his partnership with Mobile during the 2000s, which surprised plenty of his fans. If Dan Curtin is a name you know, but not an artist you're super familiar with, then this chat would be a great place to start. You can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. Dan Curtin's exchange is up next. Often when I'll ask guys, especially from the United States, about the the city where they're from and what the dance music scene was like there, they'll tell me this story about how this obscure city that most people might not associate with techno had this thriving scene or something. My understanding though is that when you started making electronic music in Cleveland, um, that was not the case. It it did not have this thriving scene. So. What was going on there? I mean, how did you get into electronic music in Cleveland? Okay, punk music was really big, of course. Rock was really big. And kind of like new wave, this kind of sound was really big. I was into kind of a mixture of all that. Hip hop was getting kind of big too, and that's what I was also into. So I was coming to electronic music from different angles. But um, yeah, when I first knew I really wanted to check out like how some techno music, you couldn't find it. Or maybe like one club would have one night or something like that where they would have a DJ come in and play one set but that was about it because all the DJs were pretty much playing like either disco where they came from that era where they were playing more like you know new wave sounds and uh, they wanted to stick with that because that was their thing and they were were, like resisting playing techno and house music so we had to fight for it so maybe in one city a small town called Kent which is where Kent State University is they had something going on one night and Cleveland had one thing same thing with the record stores, you just couldn't find it. It just didn't exist. So if you can't find it and none of it's going on, how did you end up finding it? I mean, it's just because, it's because magazines. Magazines like The Face and ID and then from New York Details. These magazines were available. I know it sounds cliche and everyone says it, but they were the lifeline. You know, There was no other way to, to find out about anything except these magazines. 
And there I find out, found out everything, basically. So you read about electronic music or yeah. you read about techno. Yeah, because like details were reported on the scene in New York. So I, I kind of knew exactly what was happening in New York, you know, and, and the face was all about London. So, so I you, could find out the stuff. You read about these other big scenes and you think to yourself, wow, this sounds amazing. I've got to get my hands on this stuff. Basically, yeah. But nobody reported on Detroit. That was never in anything. And that was the closest city. And that's where it all originated from. But you never read about that. At the beginning, I didn't even know that it was from was from Detroit. I had to find out about that via London a little bit later. So, Your first musical love was hip-hop, right? Yeah, definitely. Do you think that primed you for electronic music? Absolutely, because that's how I came to Kraftwerk, was through hip-hop, because Kraftwerk was played on all the hip-hop mix shows. It was breakdance. You know, the breakdancers used Kraftwerk a lot, so... You know, at first I thought Kraftwerk, I thought that was like, I thought there was from New York or something like that. I didn't know that they were German. So that was my first like introduction to electronic music. And then of course, electro and these kind of sounds all kind of blended in with hip hop. Yeah, it was just a natural progression to seek out more of this type of sound. I read that you felt like you were able to turn this sort of like isolation to your advantage. There wasn't this existing scene with an existing sound. There weren't even clubs that the music that you were making could be played in. So it kind of freed you from a lot of those expectations. Yeah, and that was really, really good. Now looking back, I think it was so great because I have to say, if I was starting out in this city right now in Berlin, it would be really hard to be independent and really hard to develop your own sound because you're so strongly influenced by just this mass of activity going on around you. In Cleveland, I was able to just explore myself and just do do whatever I wanted to do without any kind of influence whatsoever. So you were able to free yourself from all of your influences. I mean, I mean, well, what just didn't have any influence. I mean, I had inspiration from people, but there was no scene to influence me directly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just complete, uh, yeah, complete freedom basically without any influence whatsoever. So that worked really worked out in the end. I think being isolated kind of forced me to really want to have my own sound. So at the very beginning, I kind of made a rule for myself, and that was if it starts to sound like something I've heard before, even remotely, just stop or just delete it. Don't, don't even go any further. And um, that kind of became a, like a, a rule, and then I, I, I stick with that now. Would you say that at that time, most of your influences and inspirations were from outside of music? Well, yeah. I mean, definitely there were non-musical influences and inspiration, for sure, like nature and space and astronomy and science fiction, these kinds of things. That was a bigger influence than, than other music, totally. Yeah, I remember reading that you didn't think you would go into music. You always wanted to go into science. Right. That's, that's where your background right. is? I was, in, I was in Kent State. I was studying biology. And I didn't, I, I didn't graduate. I didn't even finish my... I finished three years. And then this music thing happened really fast because I was doing music without any intention of it being a job or, or making any money or anything like that. And it just seemed like overnight... It went from nothing to everything, and I had I was getting booking requests for Tokyo and London, and that was just so crazy. This was happening, so I thought, okay, I'm gonna do this right now. And that was entirely on the strength of the music that you were producing, some of your early records. Yeah. So, in the same way that I would ask, like, how does electronic music make it to a guy in Cleveland? who is in a, a city that doesn't really have a scene, 
I mean, how does a guy from this city without a scene get his music to everybody else? I mean, yeah, it sounds crazy and it's not that easy. But again, I, I guess I got lucky because I was making tracks and finally I made a few that I thought were okay. And then I sent out some demos to labels in Detroit, Retroactive, Carl Craig, 430 West, Acacia Records from Kelly Hand, and a couple others. All of them called and they all wanted to do, to do something. And I was just completely like shocked. So I met with Carl Craig first, and then I decided to go with, with him. And he actually brought me to Detroit, put me in a studio, had me record uh, my first ever record that never, that never came out because his label broke up. His first label was called Retroactive, and that closed down. So right when that happened, I was recording the record for him, and uh, it never came out, but he did help me. So, so how I got out was he helped me distribute my first record on my own label, Metamorphic. And so I had kind of his, had his stamp of approval on it. So he um, contacted distributors and said, hey, check this out. And they did, and then it worked out. But I think without that, it would have been much more difficult. When you started to get out of Cleveland a bit and to see music scenes in other cities, maybe this, these scenes that you had been reading about, like how did it stack up to your idea of what that was going to be like? I had no idea because I didn't know what to expect. You know, I mean, I, I went from playing maybe occasionally playing in Cleveland here and there to all of a sudden playing in London at this party called Lost, which is still going on now from Steve Bicknell. And my first ever gig was with Stacey Pullen and Luke Slater, Planetary Salt Systems. And uh, so I went from absolutely nothing to this. So I didn't really know what to expect. It was just like, oh my God, you know, when yeah. I got there. Is it true that you had, when, when you played that, that Lost party, you had been DJing for something like three weeks yeah, at that point? That's, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's, kind of, that's kind of being thrown yeah. into the ringer. Not even DJing for three weeks. I had, had turntables for three weeks because I just got them because I, I knew these requests were starting to come and I wasn't playing yet, so I thought I'd better learn. So I got turntables and then, yeah, started just practicing really fast. Because I was, I was always playing live before. I never, I never DJed. The beginning, even before I had any records out, it was always live. Brought all the gear on stage and did it like that. And um, I thought I was going to be playing live all the time, and I did. I wasn't expecting these DJ requests. Did you like DJing as much as you liked playing live? I mean, I know that now you talk about DJing as sort of being a very important part of what you do. Yeah. But was it was it sort of like love at first sight? No, it was like terror at first sight <laughs> at the beginning. Oh, it really, really was. I mean, yeah, because like I said, I mean, just going from nothing to all of a sudden having a thousand people on the floor in front of me, I was unprepared for that. So, yeah, the first couple of gigs were pretty messy. Because I really didn't, I really didn't, I was jumping the gun for sure. Didn't really have any business doing those gigs at that point. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like just got thrown in, you know, I had to learn really fast. Another thing that you'll hear guys say when they come out of a music scene that maybe wasn't really that well known before the time when they started coming up was like, oh yeah, you know, the scene in that city, I was instrumental in putting that together. Do you feel that way about Cleveland? I mean, did you leave anything in Cleveland in terms of an electronic music scene? Did anything get going while you were there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not saying I'm directly responsible for that because I think some other people were doing stuff also at the same time. But what I did do was I also started doing parties. I started organizing parties. I started doing club nights. I opened up a record store, opened up a distribution company also. So, um, yeah, I was really busy in, in the Cleveland scene, but there were really only a couple other people who were doing it. But I think what did have an influence was the record store 
because there was really never a record store devoted towards electronic music in Cleveland before. So I opened that with a couple of friends and um, that became a hub for the whole scene. So like DJs would come by and drop off their mixes and you could like, you know, you could buy and sell mixtapes there. And uh, yeah, people came from all over the Midwest to come to that store because there really wasn't, weren't that many stores around like that. So I think that had a big, a big influence on it. What was the store called? Deep Records. And, and the people in Cleveland really ate it up. It was slow going at first because it was just uh, such a new thing. This was also when this like rave scene was getting massive in the States. And um, when DJs were playing, I think every city basically in America had some kind of scene basically, you know, so. And especially in the Midwest. Especially in the Midwest. Yeah, it was really big. And people were just driving through all the time, going to Indianapolis and, you know, God knows where to go to a party. So they would always stop through, stop through Cleveland and stop at the record store. Did you spend any time at any of those raves too? Yeah, definitely. And I was playing all those raves also. What was that scene like? I think it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of the same way as it is now. I mean, it was just, um, I mean, the fashions are different or whatever, but, you know, it's still, uh, that's when we first started hearing the word candy ravers and things like that. And I was surprised at how young it was, because I think at that time I was like maybe 23 or 22 or something like that. And I was like the oldest one at these parties, you know, they were really maybe teenagers and things like that. Yeah, but I think this it hasn't really changed that much, you know, it's still kind of the same mentality. A big focus in your career, in, in your production career, has been on albums. I think you've put out something like nine yeah. albums mm-hmm. over the whole time that you've been that you've been producing. Do you consider that to be like your focus? Is that your favorite thing to work on? It's one of them. I mean, I really like I like to have the chance to get into a project and stay in it for a while. Because to, to do an EP doesn't take that long. And um, to do an album, you can kind of immerse yourself in that, in that feeling or in that atmosphere for a while. And, and I like, you know, for a moment to have the, the dance floor thing taken away for a little while and just be able to do other kind of stuff. So, yeah, I really like doing albums, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like on, on the early stuff, like the Silicon Dawn, I mean, you can place a lot of that music in the chill-out room. You know, you, you can definitely tell that there was always an interest there that was beyond the dance floor. Yeah, and even at that time, I think that's when it goes back to what I said before, I wasn't really aware of um, the dance scene so much, so I was just making music just to listen to, you know. And actually, I was playing like that as well, even at big parties, because I didn't really know what you were supposed to do at a big party, so I would just play like that kind of sound, like on the Silicon Dawn. And how did that go over? It went fine, which was really weird, you know, but I think people were really open-minded. I think it would have been better if I would have played some like Jeff Mills or Underground Resistance or something like that, but I wasn't even playing that kind of hard sound. When you started to get more requests to DJ and you started traveling to other cities with, with these more established scenes, with these much larger scenes, did that change the kind of music that you were making in the studio? Did it suddenly feel like you were, you were having to kind of listen to your productions with new ears? Not at first, but it did, did after a while, only because I wanted to... Um, I want to be able to make some music for that that environment also, but for a long time it really didn't because for a long I think I just started making music just for what I wanted to listen to, not what I wanted to play, and I just kind of got stuck in that not stuck in that, but that was kind of like my my method. And then like many maybe say maybe ten years later I started to be concerned more about the dance floor, just because I wanted to be able to play the stuff that I made. When did you decide that you wanted to make the move over here? 
you were in Cleveland for sort of the first part of your career. I yeah. wouldn't say the first half. It's ended up being less than half. Probably, right? yeah. But you've been in Berlin for, what, like 15 years? Something like that? Since 2003. Mm-hmm. What prompted the move? It was totally unmusic related, actually. It was just about uh, my wife wanted to go to university. She wanted to go to fashion school. And we looked at different cities in the world, and she she decided on going to one here in Berlin. And for me, I thought, okay, that's good for me too to come to Berlin. So let's do it. So we just moved everything over here. Just got a shipping container and moved the whole the whole house over here. Had you had any like experience playing in Berlin? Oh, yeah. Had you spent time here? Oh yeah, I, I've been here before. I'd already played the old old school, you know, Panorama Bar, and um, many places in Berlin. So I'd been here many times before. So I knew I was familiar with it a little bit. It must have felt like kind of the opposite of Cleveland, like when you were first coming up. I mean, there, people really did not have techno on their radars. Here, it's like everywhere. Right. But the thing is, it wasn't that wasn't that unfamiliar because I've been p- coming to Europe so much to play. And, um, you know, for almost a decade, coming every month for a few gigs to Europe. So I was really familiar with, with Europe and with especially with Germany because I played in Germany, every city in Germany. So it didn't feel foreign that it felt natural did anything really change about your career when you came over here i mean were you playing more more gigs were you producing more records um one thing changed was that you when you move to berlin you get to play more locally so that was that was one thing i think for a while i definitely got influenced by by the scene here in berlin you know work i started working with different kinds of labels i started working with mobile and saved and these kinds of labels, so that was a, diff- a totally different influence, a totally different type of scene than what I was used to. Yeah, the Mobile thing has been sort of a huge part of, I guess, maybe the more recent part of your career, like the last five, six, seven years or so. Yeah. Tell me how that all came together. Well, I had known Anya before. From, we, were, we were friends from just being involved in the same scene or whatever, and then we, we were hanging out here and there, but we never talked about music. And then there was one day when we had dinner and she asked me if I wanted to um, record for Mobile, do a record and, and join their, they were starting a new booking agency. She wanted to know if I wanted to join the agency. And I thought, yeah, let's try and let's, let's do that. So it just kind of came up spontaneously like that. And then that took me into a whole other direction for a while, for maybe about five or six years. Do you mean musically? Yeah, m- musically and then just the types of parties because it took me sort of away from where I had been in this techno thing for the whole time. And then... This moved me in like to this tech house, minimal kind of thing, and that was a whole different, whole different direction, different kind of parties. Everything was everything was different. Yeah, it seems like kind of an odd fit almost at first. I mean, some of your early music was, I mean, it wasn't Detroit techno, but it was related to that Influence, sound. Influenced by. Um, you know, then you put out records on Strictly Rhythm that were that were definitely more of a house thing. Mobile is definitely a house label, but the sound is. Yeah, quite a bit different from, yeah. from what you had been doing before. Yeah, for sure. The sound was different, and um, it really made me realize that there are really distinct, how, how segregated or how separated the scene is. Because people who like techno really are not interested in, in tech house, in this tech house and minimal thing at all. So it kind of like created a rift, you know. And um, I was thinking that you could just, it all could go together, but it really doesn't. There's, there's every little bit of the scene is so segmented and they don't want to interact with each other so much, even if you want to, like they don't want to. I mean, do you feel like for some of your fans that was like drawing a line in the sand or something? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think so for sure. Again, I was probably just being naive or whatever to thinking I could just work with these people, work with these people and everything is okay. But I think for a lot of people, they, they didn't understand it. I mean, it was good for you, right? I mean, playing as many gigs as ever. Yeah. Okay. In that respect, it was good because <laughs> there were a lot of parties going on for sure. And, and that was, that was all good. But I think I have to say that I think I, I alienated a lot of people by doing that. So in that respect, it, it wasn't a good, a good decision, you know, mm-hmm. I just didn't realize what was happening. It took, it took a little bit of time to realize that, um, how these scenes don't mix and how everyone wants to be doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, it's a good thing. It was a lie in the sand for some people that were just like, no, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess you kind of find out who the, who the real fans are or something like that. I think it's, it's more like, the peop- you know, people who are really into um, organic and warm techno just really don't like the other stuff. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, though, I bet it was, well, maybe you can tell me, I mean, was it fun to sort of get to incorporate this sort of different aesthetic into your sound. I mean, as someone who likes working in the studio, this must have opened up a lot of new possibilities to you. It did, and it was really fun, and that's kind of been a big part of, of how I've made music since the beginning, because, okay, my first couple of records were, let's say, quote-unquote, Detroit techno. But I always had the um, the idea to, to do different sounds, so I just wanted to do a couple of Detroit records, and then to me I felt... Okay, I've done that. Let's try something different. So like like you mentioned Strictly Rhythm, so then I tried. I did this sound, but still keeping true to myself, but still doing another sound. So in a way, it was natural for me to just to try and do another kind of sound in a slightly different scene. Because I, I had always been doing that, going from here and there. But that's something else the industry doesn't like. You know, they, they want consistency, more or less. And so even though if, if you want, if, as an artist, you want to just do whatever, you're not allowed to do that, you know? <laughs> so, Yeah. No matter how much the sound has shifted, I mean, do you think there is sort of an inherent Dan Curtin sound? And if there is, like, what is that? Like, what's yeah. the what's the link between, you know, the more Detroit techno-leaning stuff and the more Mobile-leaning stuff? Well, that's why I always thought, for me, it wasn't such a strange thing to do different, to do different sounds because it's always just me. <laughs> and for me, the, 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 the red thread going through all of this stuff is that it's, like... That music is an expression of how I'm feeling at that moment. So in that respect, it's always the same because it's always that. But I think that 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 meaning is too personal to to come across to a lot of people. So it really seems different to a lot of people on the outside. But it will always have this kind of like space influence. I mean, that's always going to be in there. This, yeah, sci-fi thing. That's going to be that's that's been there since the beginning. I think that will always be there. There's quite a well-known story about you and Morgan Geist he was sort of a protege of yours. Are you guys still in touch? Maybe tell me a little bit about, yeah, about totally. that relationship. We're good friends. Yeah, yeah. I just talked to him yesterday and we're, we're, we've stayed good friends the whole, the whole time. Mm-hmm. How, how did you come to meet him and what did you see in him? You know, it goes back to what I said about that record store, it, how it was kind of like a hub for everybody involved in that kind of music. So I met him, he came to my store he was going to school in Oberlin for Oberlin College for I think he was studying music actually. So he brought me his demo to the to the store, and I was just completely blown away because it was really amazing. Of course, released it right away. Yeah, and then we stayed friends. We've stayed friends for for the whole time. I think I did his did his first two records on my label, and then later I did a couple other ones. So um, yeah, I've been watching his career the whole time, and we're definitely in touch on, on a regular basis. 
I mean, it'd be sort of easy for me as like a music journalist to kind of describe that relationship as sort of a mentor mentee relationship. I mean, I mean, was it, was it like that? Were you giving him some good tips? Yeah, I think so. I think he saw it that way too at the, at, at the beginning, but he would come over to my house, you know, we would go in the studio together and we didn't, we actually never made music together. Okay. Take that back. <laughs> at the beginning, we didn't make any music together. We did later on. I think like anybody, he was learning from me a little bit because I had already been doing it for a little, a, a little while. Do you think that's important, like as a as a producer, a label owner, a DJ, like whatever role you have, to sort of work with younger people to kind of pass along what you have? Is that an important part of the process? Totally, it's invaluable, and I <clears throat> I really wish I had that too because it takes so long to learn by trial and error. So it's really great if you have someone to mentor you through and to help you. And even if you don't have that, to have the support of a scene is kind of the same thing. Like the scene can kind of help you through. You know, like, for example, someone starting, starting out now in Berlin will probably have a crew and they're all doing stuff and they're all bouncing ideas off of each other. And this is really great, too. Are you still, you know, kind of working with anybody, maybe through your label or something that's kind of like the Morgan Geist relationship? Yeah. I mean, in fact, um, the next release on my label is from Titantan, Titantan Duvante, also from, from Ohio. Mm-hmm. I released his first record as well at 20 years ago this year. So uh, I have a new one coming off. He's the next release on the label. And then I'm going to re-release his first record again this year. So we've also stayed in touch the whole time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, now he's back. Now he's back doing, he, he took a pause for a while and now he's back as well, full on. I guess that's kind of a nice segue to, to talking a little bit about uh, Metamorphic, about the label. It's never been one of these labels that's put out, you know, five records every month or 10 records every year. You've kind of slowly released things as maybe the good stuff has, has come around. Yeah, what, what, what's the concept? What's the plan for the label? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I tried for a while to um, to keep a regular schedule, and I just realized that you almost can't. Because if you really, if you want to have really something really special, like a Morgan Geist or a Tatantan, these don't come along that often, you know, and you just can't find them every month. So I tried that for a while, but then when you try and do that, the quality goes down. So... Now it's back to just, as it comes, and then I'll release it as regular as possible. But it's not, you know, it's nothing I depend on for an income. So it's it's just for the passion. And that's how it is now, too. So I think maybe I'll have a couple more this year. But it, also because the pressing plants are taking so long to press records now, there's like a long delay in between the, in between the releases. That's something that you hear a lot now, you know, that what used to be a, a four-week waiting period is now a 10-week waiting period. Seven weeks is now 17 weeks or something like yeah. that. How do you even run a label these days? I mean, you have to just do it in the right way. You don't have to be, you have to be out, ahead, out in front of it to deal with that. But 10 weeks, that's not even, that's good. <laughs> I, I was trying to get this last one released. I had pressing plans say, we're not taking any more orders. I had some say four months. You know, it's just really out of control right now. They're so busy. It's important to you that the, the label doesn't go digital or something like that. You want to keep releasing vinyl. Yeah, I mean, it was digital for a while. Well, it was vinyl and digital. And then I think the last release, but it's been a while since the last release because I took a little break for maybe like four years or five years. And that was only digital. And it just, for me, it doesn't do anything to release it only digital. It, um, first of all, it gets pirated instantly. Secondly, there's no, you don't make anything from the digital. The artist doesn't make anything. The label doesn't make anything. It's kind of in a way disposable. I mean, I, I know 
I mean, I, I play also digitally. I play half half digital, half half vinyl. So it's definitely an, an important thing. But um, I want to keep it vinyl. I want people to collect it. I want people to have something, and I want a bit more permanence to it. Sure. You know, and and also, you know, you can make a little bit of money that way, and you need to make a little bit of money so you can keep it going. You know, it's important. Yeah, of course. It's also important, and the artist deserves to get something for it. So it's a shame that an artist puts all that time and effort into it, and maybe they get a gig out of it, or maybe you know, that's that's too ambiguous. They should get something concrete out of it. Yeah, that's a good point. You've had quite a long relationship now with Berlin. I mean, far longer than lots of other DJs who are in this city. What do you think about what's going on here now? I've seen it change really a lot since I, since I came here. I mean, it was already exploded. In 2003, when I moved here, people were already saying, oh, another American, another American's coming here. They're, they were already saying it then, you know, so it, it was already huge then. But it's different now, I have to say. I mean, the, the tourism thing has really just exploded in a massive way. Not just the music, but you've probably seen it. It's the whole city. Every aspect of the city is is dominated by tourism right now, it seems like. So I think it's kind of, um, it's taken out the the underground feeling a little bit, taken away the underground feeling a little bit. It feels a lot more professional now than it used to. Well, it feels more commercial than it used to, I think. I think even even back then it was it was very professional, but now it's commercial. You know, and the clubs cost way more to get into them now. It's really it's hard to get into, harder to get into the clubs now. You have to keep going further and further out to find really good, good parties. I think. Are the sounds that are getting played in the clubs? I mean, has that changed as well? I think it's become more homogenized, for sure. It seems like one sound kind of dominates everything in the clubs, and that's sort of like tech house or whatever you want to call it. Tech house kind of means nothing anymore, but everyone calls everything tech house. But I don't even know what it really means. It just means minimal to me. <laughs> I think everything has become kind of, yeah, the same in a way. That super special feeling is, is harder to find now. Do you ever find it, though? I mean, is, is there something in Berlin that you still get really excited about? Club-wise? Yeah, in, in the clubs, producers who are here. I mean, the great thing is, is that I'm meeting a lot of people in Berlin. Because everyone's coming through here. So that's something to really get excited about. And then every now and again, you have a really cool night. To me, it's, 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 it's harder to find. It is exciting to watch how the city's changing, though. It's exciting to watch this transformation from... I mean, here in the East, when I moved here, it was there was a lot of dilapidated buildings still, and they hadn't been renovated. And now there's, it's all new apartments everywhere. So this is like it's like a whole new city, basically, right now. So album number nine came out in 2010. It's been five years, I guess, since uh, since the last record. Any ideas about album number ten? Yeah, but nothing concrete. I mean, I've been doing been doing a lot of a lot of singles, and um, I also made a big shift and and sound wise, in the past, let's say two years ago, I made a decision to just. Um, Go back to kind of the original aesthetic and the original original uh, game plan of just doing like this more organic techno sound that I really, really, you know, really feel strongly about. So everything I have coming out in the next year is either a single or a, re- a repress. And we're doing a lot of represses because there's a lot of interest now in, yeah, there's a lot of interest in like some 90s stuff again. So we're, we're doing some represses now. Yeah, people are looking back a lot more than they used to. Yeah. Do you have any idea of why that is? Is it is it the internet? Is music easier to find now than it used to be? 
older music that is? Maybe it's the vinyl resurgence a little bit, and people are looking for something to collect, so they're looking for something that they that's out of print or whatever that they really is rare, and they want to find that. I think the music in general can be a little bit on the boring side right now, so that, that's why they're looking back. I mean, I think in life in general, you only look back when you're dissatisfied with what you have right now. So I think that's why a lot of people are looking back. There's a, there's a there's an interest again in, in what happened before. So when you say that you're interested in kind of going back to this organic techno sound, like kind of where it all started. Yeah. I mean, what does that actually mean, maybe in terms of the of, of the studio? I mean, are you pulling out some of your old gear, returning to some of your old production processes? Yeah, basically I made a kind of a, a cut. You know, I stopped working in this tech house thing completely, which meant I also changed my studio out because before I was doing almost everything in the box and... I've reconverted the studio back into gear again, so a lot of elect- a lot of analog stuff and also gear, just maybe some digital gear as well. So the recent productions, like the new, the current Metamorphic, for example, that's out right now, is just all gear, computer for sequencer and sampling, but that's about it. Otherwise, it's all uh, it's all gear. And yeah, I really miss that feeling. I tried to do everything in the box for a while, and it just wasn't working for me. So done with that. <laughs> as do well. you- do you, do you have any idea why it, it wasn't working? What was missing? I'm just I just missing. I can't, I couldn't get that uh, life out of the out of the out of the computer that I need to get. You know, so when I have a, when I have an instrument, yeah, I can really just make it come alive. And it's just that really it's such a, such a small thing, but it makes a really big difference. It just makes a difference on how I feel. I can't even say which one's better because that, that's stupid. Doesn't matter. Whatever you like. But for me, that's what I like. So, yeah, I remember reading something, or maybe it wasn't that I was I was reading it. It might have been in that that interview that that you did with Morgan Geist for his RBMA show. But I remember hearing something that you said. You know, when you were getting some of the original gear that you were doing your some of your earliest music on, that you you would kind of go into all of the different shops in in Cleveland or something and say like, hey, do do you have a 303? Like, when are you going to get a 303? Like, you really sought that stuff out. Right. Have you kept all that gear through the years? Some of it. Yeah, some of it I have and some of it, but I think we're all doing that, like buying and selling and exchanging and everything like that. Yeah, so I I have a few pieces that I had since day one. That was also, you know, finding 303s like that was also thanks to these magazines. There would be no other way I would know what these machines were. Obviously, something that's happening since you've come over to Europe is, um, I guess, electronic music has kind of gone through a different phase in the States. I mean, do you have any connection with with that anymore? Um, Do you have any idea what's going on over there? Do you even care? Yeah, I mean, I still play over there. Totally. For me, it seems actually good, really good, because there was a time when kind of vinyl died and... There was a trans, you know, there was some, um, it was switch over to digital. And, and it seems like in the States was the one place where all the clubs just said, okay, forget about it. We're not doing vinyl anymore. That's over. And I would go on tour and I'd go on the clubs. They didn't have needles on the turntables. They didn't have turntables, this kind of stuff. But that's really over. So the last time I was in the States was in September. I played a couple nice things like uh, Output in New York, Smart Bar in Chicago. And that's all over now. Now, now the clubs are set up perfectly for everything. You know, for vinyl, for for digital, and people were up for it. But I think this huge electronic scene now in the states has brought people to the underground too a little bit. You know, and there's like seems to be new scenes opening up in places you wouldn't think, like Tampa. I just want to talk to you about that before. 
uh, booking agencies down there, and they um, they're starting nights in Tampa now. And so maybe this whole you know electronic scene exploded in the states, but I think it really helped in the end. How about in Cleveland? In Cleveland, I, I actually played there last year as well. Um, my last time there. Yeah, it's it's much more than it was, you know, when I left there. That's for sure. There's a lot more clubs now, but you know what? They're in, they're influenced by by Europe a lot too. So they've they've taken influence here. There's a, there's a new club in Cleveland with a rooftop that looks just like Weekend, and um, yeah, but it's a good thing, you know. It's it's just like they're bouncing, they're t- taking all their ideas from Europe. First, Europe took a lot of inspiration from the states, and now it's gone the other way around. And now it's kind of like just an international scene, more or less. I was just going to say almost exactly the same thing. The whole scene over here perhaps began with people looking to Detroit and Chicago, sure, definitely. kind of getting taking that over here and turning it into its own thing. And mm-hmm. now it seems like it's going back in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The whole thing started from Detroit and Chicago, came over here, and that dominated for a very long time. But then until maybe like around 2000, 2001, I think um, it started to switch because the scene started really getting big over here. And they, and then here they developed, you know, the Berlin with this minimal sound became kind of like the dominant sound in, in dance music, and then that spread over to the States in reverse. And then the States started taking influence from that. Where do you think all this is kind of leading for, for you? You're kind of going back to your roots at the moment. Are you thinking at all about what's next? Yeah, I've, I've, um, I think I'm, I've kind of like, I'm, I'm settled on, on this. Like I'm going to... I found I found what I really really enjoy out of the music scene now after being involved in a long time and going a lot of different directions traveling all over the world and now I found um, I really know what I really like so there's no more need to explore so much because now I know that really the, the real exploration is inside and that's where I'm going to keep going for you know I don't need to look for outside influences anymore because I've done that pretty much so but I haven't explored inside enough yet so that's where I'm going to keep on going. I guess that's even another way that you're going back to your roots. You know, if you kind of began creating music a little bit in isolation, now you're sort of at the exact opposite place from that. Right. So how do you, how are you able to isolate yourself when you're living at the center of it all? It's not, it's not isolated. It's just knowing where to grab the influence from. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be isolated anymore. I was, that was enough. (laughs) So yeah, it's great to have, it's great to have, all kinds of activity and influence around. It's also great to know exactly where I need to look to um, find my real inspiration. 